Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Stillman here. And today we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is how to reduce your supplement burden. Why is this one of my favorite topics? I know for myself, first as a patient and then as a practitioner, that in the integrative, natural, functional, holistic medicine world, I went through this arc of getting interested, trying everything, getting used to taking lots of supplements. And then I basically fell out of love with the number of supplements required to kind of remain engaged. And to be completely honest with you throughout my entire career, I have never heard another clinician talk about how to get off of supplements as aggressively as me, which is part of why we want to spend in my practice so much consultative time with people. We want to spend time with them on group coaching calls. We want to send them protocols for their diet. I really do believe that Hippocrates was right when he said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. The fact of the matter is that the economic incentives in the integrative and functional medicine world, the way that most practices are set up, they don't have time with patients to educate them on diet. Many of the providers themselves do not understand how to counsel people to eat a nutrient dense diet, let alone, let's say how to get a lot of manganese, right? And most people don't even know when, oh, this person needs more manganese, this person needs less. But my point to you guys is simply this. It is possible to get significant amounts of your nutrition from your food. But as we're going to discuss today, it is not a simple matter of eat a whole foods diet, okay? There are lots of details here. And we're going to go through some of my favorite and most important talking points on group coaching calls, in courses, and in one-on-one -on -one consults with people, all targeted around how to reduce supplement burden. Because the fact of the matter is that if you're going to rely on, on supplements to get your nutrition, right, it's going to become unsustainable. You're going to get tired of taking them. Um, and on top of that, it's just not as good as, as eating whole food anyway. If you're going to reduce your supplement burden with your diet, you've got to know what you're doing, and that requires some, some consultative time. So without further ado, let's jump into what we're going to talk about today. So for starters, I want to go back for a moment. Last week, my Monday Masterclass was on what should you spend on supplements, and I basically came out as saying it's about 150 bucks a month, 120 175 somewhere in that range. Okay. One of my patients immediately asked me, Hey, went to see this other doctor was recommended $500 worth of supplements. What do you think about that? And the truth of the matter is you always have to be very specific about what your goal is. So what's your goal? All right. With my patients, I want to get them significant durable results, but I also don't want to push them too hard because what often happens when you put people on too aggressive of a supplement protocol is they develop side effects. They don't tolerate it well, then they don't take it. Then you're in a position where you may not be doing them any good because they've completely bailed on top of that. They may end up saying, well, this whole functional integrative natural medicine thing's not for me, you know, because I couldn't tolerate the supplements. It's not really good for anybody. So I try to put people on protocols that are reasonable, uh, that are easy to follow and that are going to be sustainable at least for the three to four months that I want people to take supplements for when we do a round of lab testing and sit down for a consultation, right? 
However, this is a very heavy caveat. A lot of this depends upon what we see in the labs and how aggressive the patient wants to be. And I will often actually just say this right out to patients. I say, look, you know, we can be as aggressive as possible and try and get you as much progress as possible. But the reality is when you start to move things and put in big doses of nutrients into the system, you often see significant changes uh, and sometimes side effects. Sometimes people don't tolerate it, right? And for that reason, I want to give the patient or client agency to say no, because they may not be able to take time off of work. They may not be able to take time away from caring for their kids. They may not be able to take time away from just life in general. And sometimes it's just, well, look, I got three months coming up. Then my child's getting married. I really would like to have some progress, some relief from my symptoms, some improvement, but I'm not interested in say flirting with severe symptoms or side effects. I really would rather not get into some kind of what we would call a healing crisis and a healing crisis to define it is basically someone's getting better, but it's causing them to have a lot of symptoms. Like we'll see people have fevers or they'll have night sweats or they'll have nausea, vomiting, chills, sometimes serious GI issues, sometimes really severe skin rashes. So, you know, you, this is significant what we're doing here. It's very powerful and we don't want to, uh, we need to respect that in a word. So anyway, I wanted to show you guys what a more aggressive supplement protocol would look like, because the truth of the matter is, let's say somebody comes to you and they say, look, chips are down. I have to win or it's over for me. I have a serious diagnosis. I want to do everything possible, even things uh, that other people would say are, are just way too much for them, right? So I said, okay, well, what would happen if I was really aggressive with something like a mineral balancing protocol, which is the mainstay of what I'm doing now in my practice? Well, rather than it being 120, 150, whatever bucks a month, all of a sudden it's 285. Why? Because we double the doses of many of the ingredients. And so you're going through way more bottles per month. Now, on top of that, I wanted to give you guys some insight into other supplements that I use. So it's very common for me to use um, these three supplements down here, GI Revive, Vitamin C, and MSM. Now, if you're a premium subscriber to my Substack, you actually have access to a kind of deconstructed GI Revive protocol that I put out in um, Healing the Gut as a post on my Substack. And for those of you who don't know, Monday Masterclass is brought to you by my Substack, stillmanmd.substack.com. Subscribe at that URL. Uh, I put this out every Monday. If you want the notification, make sure you're subscribed. I obviously put out a bunch of other great content. Don't miss it. Anyway, so I have I have that um, my recipe for this there, which is significantly more affordable. And it's also different in formulation, to be fair. So the G, let's say that I'm using GI Revive and vitamin C and MSM. Okay. That's like a $200 price tag for all three of those supplements. And then if you look at the doses that I'll sometimes use, like someone may be on 20 doses or 20 grams in my world of MSM. Well, they're going to be going through 2.6 bottles a month. They may be on three big doses of vitamin C, like let's call it five grams each dose. That's 15 grams a day. That's a lot. All of a sudden, a bottle that could last them months is lasting them one month, right? So all of a sudden, they've got another supplement bill that's $260. Now, is this common? No. Uh, and that's why I didn't include it in what most people should be spending. But again, this depends on the case, depends on the severity, and depends on what the person tells me their priorities are. If their priority is to get as healthy and well as possible, as quickly as possible, we need to move and we need to put some money into supplements and you've got to take the time and you've got to just deal with it because when you really move quickly, you can get some amazing results. 
uh, but it becomes more and more expensive, right? Okay, so that's the costs, right? And so this ends up working out to a little bit over $500. And, and I, I say that because I don't want anyone to come away from my other video thinking, oh, well, Dr. Stillman is basically saying that anyone who's using more dollar amount than this supplements per month is crazy or not practicing well or doing the wrong thing. No, no, no. There is a time and a place for everything. And you don't want to get married to this idea of, well, this is what my budget should be. I will just tell you that I get people great results for something in that ballpark. Okay. So this is, as you may know, my, one of my favorite apps, Chronometer. I want to actually see if I can zoom in a little bit. Okay. Forget that. We're not going to zoom in because you're going to have to deal with the fact that it's kind of small. What am I talking about today with Chronometer? So I said, how do you reduce your supplement burden? That's the title or the title of the video. Well, we've got to do it with food. And these are some of my favorite, favorite foods for reducing people's uh, need for supplements because these have significant doses of various nutrients that I'm apt to use in my practice. So we've got goat milk, blackstrap molasses, bananas, oats, baby spinach, salmon, sockeye salmon, walnuts, chia seeds, lentils, and steak. So why do I like these? Now, to be clear, this is a huge amount of food for many people. It's 2,300 calories. That's a snack for somebody like my friend, Jim Laird, but it's about twice what, you know, a 79, 80, 90 year old lady is going to eat on a good day. So you got to be aware of that. Okay. So I want to focus on the micronutrients because that's where I think the most value is and where I'm most focusing on picking and choosing foods for people when I'm counseling them about what to eat. So you'll notice that if you eat all these nutrient-dense foods, you're going to get huge quantities of these B vitamins relative to what's recommended. Now, that's a good thing. The RDAs, as they're set, are very low. Uh, I also don't think that they're necessarily – there's a lot of ins and outs to forms of vitamins. And so, you know, food fortification is something that I'm I'm very bearish on. It's not routinely a good idea. It's It's been foisted on the public because, you know, the people in charge are at best not that bright and at worst – total, totally insane and, you know, and evil, etc. But anyway, you can get these big doses of these B vitamins, right? But you've got to be really wary of the fact that these big doses, and these are big doses in the world of what you eat. These are not big doses in the world of supplementation, which is also an important distinction for me to make. So for example, somebody with B6 deficiency, you might give them 50 milligrams of zinc twice a day which is basically, uh, what would it be, 200 times, right? Or 20 times the amount of B6 in this day. That's B6 pyridoxine right here. Now the form matters because there's activated B6 and there's not activated B6. That's the difference between the phosphorylated and the non-phosphorylated. I have a long video on that for those of you who want the full story there. But the, the bottom line here is basically that with supplements, we get these massive doses that are appropriate and are very effective at dealing with real, genuine deficiency and imbalance within the diet and within the body, okay? But that doesn't mean that what you eat doesn't matter. And that's one of the most pernicious messages that I think people get, not necessarily overtly, but sort of covertly from the supplement um, uh, industry is that, oh, you can just take this and you're covered. That's not really fair. You do want to have the foundation of your nutrition to be your diet. There's no question of that amongst 
practitioners who are really serious and studied and have been doing this for a long time. But anyway, so let's take B6 as an example. You're going to notice when you look at things like B6 that the majority of it is coming from a very short list of foods. So salmon has two milligrams of B6 per cup. A sirloin steak has 1.1 milligrams per, it's a large serving, I can't remember exactly what it is. And then you get these other ones that are sort of smaller contributors like bananas and goat milk and chia seeds and lentils. But then below that, you're getting hardly any. What this means is that what you'll find is when you, you've got to be really strategic with your foods because if you don't include certain food groups, you're going to wind up with certain nutritional deficiencies. You know, for example, if you don't eat any animal foods, your B6 content is really going to drop in your diet. If you don't eat any fruits, seeds, or legumes, you're also going to see your B6 levels drop in your diet. Very important, right? B12 is another great example of this, right? It's all coming in from animal food. There's none in the vegetarian or vegan options. Folate is another great example of this. So this is a comparison of one cup of lentils with two cups of spinach. Many people will tell you, oh, you're folate deficient. You've got to eat a diet rich in green leafy vegetables to deal with this. Is that good? Yes. But what most people miss is that there's three to four times as much folate in uh, lentils and beans, most of them anyway, as there is in green leafy vegetables. And even the green leafy vegetables vary quite a lot on a per pound basis, right? So when I look at folate, I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but I can. So when I look at folate, I see that there's 358 micrograms of lentil or of folate in one cup of lentils. It is much easier to eat a cup of lentils than it is to eat two cups of baby spinach. Okay. And there's three times as much folate in the lentils. And there's 116 micrograms of folate in two cups of baby spinach. Okay. You'll also notice that if you drop the legumes and you drop the spinach or the greens out of the diet, suddenly folate consumption becomes very low. And this is why it's not uncommon for me to see people with low folate on their testing and feeling worlds better on higher folate supplementation. And then I also add in green leafy vegetables, lentils or legumes, and it changes their life. The other thing I want to be really clear about, because Gary Breck has been making a lot of content about this. His Joe Rogan interview is very well received. It's gone, gone viral. If you want my thoughts on his interview, I think Chris Masterjohn did a phenomenal review. I think it was called like fact checking Gary Brecka. He did a good job. I thought he was very fair. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I won't get into that. But with MTHFR, like what many people with MTHFR don't realize is they're thinking, oh, I'm, I've got to take a supplement for the rest of my life. You can take a supplement for the rest of your life. But do you actually need to? If you're not going to eat green leafy vegetables and lentils or leg legumes, and you have MTHFR, I think you would be totally nuts to not take a supplement. Totally honest. I think it's worthwhile for you to spend some money on testing to make sure you're where you want to be, you know, because otherwise you're just assuming that what you're taking and what you're eating is together making up the difference for your folate demand, which is very dynamic. You will see an incredibly wide range of uh, folate status on different types of lab tests that we run. Uh, so yeah, you can either take the supplements or you can do the diet or you can do, split the difference and do both. What I try to do is figure out where are you on testing? 
how can we increase what's coming in in your diet? And that's what we get the best results with. What else? The minerals are really critical here. So, for example, calcium, one of my favorite minerals, you'll notice in most people's diets that if you're not consuming dairy, you don't get that much calcium. This day that I created here, this mock day, has four cups of goat milk, and that brings in 1,300 milligrams of calcium. No food on planet Earth that I'm aware of can possibly compare to the density of calcium as dairy has. And that means if someone does truly need calcium, then dairy is going to be their go-to. People are going to tell you things like, oh, you don't need calcium. Oh, you get enough calcium. Oh, just normalize your vitamin D. There's a time and a place for everything. And I'm telling you what, there are some people who feel worlds better on higher doses of calcium and specifically different types of calcium, which is why it's almost always part of a mineral balancing protocol. Now, it's not that you're getting 500 to a gram of calcium a day is bad. Many of you are getting less than that. It's that sometimes you want to push it higher. But if somebody comes to me and they want to say, hey, I don't want to take this calcium supplement you recommended for me. And no, it's not just a calcium supplement. It's the paramin and the mineral balancing protocols. Uh, what else can I do? I would say, look, you would have to have some dairy in your day in order to make up the difference. Okay. Molasses, believe it or not, is actually a phenomenal food for calcium. It has 200 milligrams of calcium in it. It also has a lot of B6. It's also got a lot of potassium. It's also got a lot of magnesium, which is why it's one of the most common foods for me to recommend to people. Let's look at copper. Copper is another one of those uh, uh, minerals or nutrients where the lion's share is coming from a very small cast of characters. You'll notice it's coming from the lentils, the nuts, some of it from the milk, but that's really only because there's a ton of it in, the, in this day, the molasses, and then the rest of it is mostly plant foods, right? What we will often see is in the carnivore world, they have a very low copper to zinc ratio in their diet. They don't usually end up with overt copper deficiency, but they'll often end up in what we call fast oxidation, which is where they're going to feel better if they have a higher copper intake, which is why it makes sense to me that people are always like, oh my gosh, you got to make sure you get your beef liver on your carnivore diet. That's the only place you're going to be getting on a carnivore diet, appreciable amounts of copper and folate. This then leads people to go way too far in the other direction. And all of a sudden they're taking uh, liver supplements every single day. And then all of a sudden they have fatigue and headaches and joint pain and all these other symptoms that they're getting too much copper than they can handle. And boom, they're in somebody's office saying, I don't know why I'm so sick, right? We get amazing results as I've talked about in prior webinars for people who have unwittingly um, consumed or have too much copper in their diet and not enough zinc and other balancing minerals. Okay. So uh, another one I want to cover here is magnesium. Magnesium, because so many of you are supplementing with magnesium. But the truth of the matter is, if you eat a mineral-dense diet, if you eat carefully and you include some very key foods, you can actually eat a huge amount of magnesium per day. Which ones are, are included here? There's goat milk, there's oats, there's chia seeds, there's blackstrap molasses. And the sockeye salmon is a pretty reasonable dose um, of, of uh, magnesium, but it's not that much. What I find interesting about this is that most people say things like, oh, magnesium, eat green leafy vegetables. Well, you'll notice the two cups of spinach are only bringing in 50 milligrams of mag. The blackstrap molasses, one tablespoon is bringing in 100 milligrams. The chia seeds, one ounce or a couple tablespoons, I believe, 
a whole 110. The oats are bringing in 111, which is why when people like Dave Asprey say oats are like for losers or it's peasant food or Paul Saladino says things like this, I just kind of makes me cringe. It actually makes me uncomfortable, which is why I really laughed uh, the other day when somebody sent me a reel where one of them is saying like, this is the, the food of losers. And then they have like a world champion marathon runner saying that his favorite breakfast is oats. I mean, really oats are amazing. If you haven't watched my video on oats, go to my YouTube channel or go to my sub stack, look up oats. It's one of my favorite videos I've ever made. But the point is this 700 and something milligrams of magnesium this day is coming in through food. And the vast majority of it is only from a small number of foods that are easy to integrate into your day. You do not have to be dependent upon a magnesium supplement. You do not have to just keep shelling out money month after month, day after day, week after week for another mag supplement. You can get away with doing this with food. I'm very, I try very hard to do this myself. And there's been months long periods where I haven't taken mag and I haven't seen my numbers and levels in my blood or in my hair tissue mineral analysis change appreciably. Okay. So I know it's possible. All right. Manganese, another one of my favorites. Manganese is a really extreme example of what I've been talking about. 2.9 milligrams of manganese is coming in in this day from one cup of oats. And the rest is coming in from the lentils, the chia seeds, the walnuts, and to a certain extent, molasses and some spinach. But the point here is simply this. Almost 50%, 50% if you count the top three, are coming in from just three foods. That's really important. And it's why you'll see more and more nutritional imbalances and deficiencies in people who only eat a small repertory of foods. What about potassium? One of my favorite supplements. I've got some great articles on my Substack on potassium. Goat milk is the king of the hill when it comes to potassium. It makes every other food look like it's not even trying. And so there's four cups of goat milk in this day for a whopping 1999 milligrams of potassium. Do you need to drink that much goat milk? No, I included it here just to make a point. Do you get a ton from salmon? Yes. Do you get a ton from lentils and steak and bananas and molasses? Yes. But I do a lot of work in my practice on getting people to eat enough potassium or a higher potassium diet. And I am amazed by what happens to them when they bother to do it. They have so much more energy, particularly if they live in a hot place and they're losing a lot of potentially a lot of electrolytes and sweat. So one last one that we'll go over and that's zinc. So zinc, this is 19 milligrams of zinc in one day. I want to put this in perspective for you guys because it's actually very relevant. So uh, some of the, the most controversy out there right now in the health and wellness world is, you know, should we be taking zinc? Should we be taking copper? These things antagonize each other. Some people are saying like Morley Robbins, everyone's deficient in copper. No one should need any zinc. Avoid the zinc. Other people like me are over here saying, oh my gosh, zinc changed my life. It's changed the lives of my patients. There's no way you could ever convince me that zinc was hurting people. Now, granted, can you take too much zinc? It's possible. It's just really challenging. What I found and part of why I have taken the position now that I have of being very enthusiastic about zinc is having seen the results of treating people with doses of zinc that are in the 60 to 100 milligram a day range. Now, I'm very careful to say in the same breath as how much I'm using that I only do this for three to four months at a time. When I first started practicing with, well, well 
at one point in my career, I'll just say I was using only 30 milligrams a day, which is a half to a third of what I'm sometimes using now. And what I found as I went was that I got better results at these higher doses. And sometimes I didn't get appreciable results at the lower doses. What this means to me is that many, many people do not understand how powerful a small change in dose of one or two pills or capsules can be. And as a result, they may not get any results at all. Furthermore, to the people out there who just want to eat a healthy diet and be optimized or be optimal or be at their top level performance, my best luck to you. I have not been able to do it myself. I do not rely on that for my patients. And I frankly don't recommend it. The results you'll get when you go into the higher dose ranges for supplements are, in my opinion, life-changing. And there's no way I'm going back from them uh, because of the results I've seen, both in myself, friends, family, patients, et cetera. And like I've hopefully impressed upon you today in this video, can you get significant doses of these things from food? Of course you can. Are you going to be able to get to some of the doses that we use therapeutically to get unbelievably good, over-the-top, great results? No. And that is why I do what I do and why I love what I do. So hopefully this has been helpful and enlightening and inspiring and all those good things. I'd love it if you would share it with somebody who you think needs it. I hope you'll subscribe to my Substack. I've got a webinar coming up this Saturday. A post is going to come out announcing that to my Substack uh, subscribers. I think it's tomorrow along with a link to register. It's going to be called uh, Work Smarter, Not Harder. And it's going to be uh, five keys to getting the most out of your fitness routine and your health and wellness routine. So thanks everyone for watching. Take care. Have a great day.